Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us all across the country. If you were with us, you'd be, uh, your belly would be full, you'd be sitting in nice comfortable seats, uh, you'd be fighting, falling asleep. Because that's how we do. We eat until we get sleepy. That's our motto, if you will. Let's eat until we get sleepy. All good stuff. A great blend of desserts and uh, casseroles. and um, We even have ice cream tonight, although I don't think there's Is there any of that left? I mean, that goes quick. That's a popular item. Yeah, good man. Good man. So, uh, welcome. We're glad to have you. And uh, we're, we're fortunate to be reaching out. I think I counted last week when I was looking at the matrix of all the different places, 11 countries, including the United States, that listened last week, 11 countries. bunch of soldiers. Uh, we had a bunch of guys um, listening uh, across the seas. We had uh, one of our great friends of the show. Uh, he had just finished his night jump, his night jump qualification as a uh, ranger officer, and so we're glad to have him listening and so many others that uh, we're very fortunate. We want to give a shout out to our, we always do this tomorrow, but I wanted to do it today as well. Shout out to our soldiers, uh, uh, our fighting men and women. We really, we really are blessed to have you. And to the family of the Marine that was killed in Iraq, we certainly send our deepest condolences. And we need to be worth their sacrifice, but we also need to fight. Tomorrow's show, uh, Monday's show is always called Collision of Faith and Politics. And, um, God and country, the collision of faith and politics. And, and in that, uh, we really, we need to remember that, that we're still at war and, uh, that unfortunately the powers that be, the powers that are in control don't want to see us win. And I think that's pretty obvious. Um, and it's, it's interesting under this president and under this administration, suffering of Christians all around the world, including in the United States has, uh, exploded Yet the hypersensitivity to Islam has also, I mean, it's 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 rampant. Don't wouldn't you agree? Uh, the way that we view Christians dying and being tortured and beheaded and drowned and stoned is vastly different than how we treat Muslims. There's there's this great push uh, in the administration to convince us that hey, yes, this happened. It's a rare thing. But uh, it's not representative of the religion. Remember, it's a religion, it's a political faction, and it's a military operation, RPM. So you want to remember that. Islam is not just simply a religion. It's religion, political faction, and a military operation. And they are relentless, they are ruthless, and they don't care about your feelings. 
They don't care about your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. They just care to exploit you, use you up, and then kill you when they're done. But they, they love killing Christians and Jews, and they're doing that with great success. Um, thousands upon thousands of them. And yet this administration, and sadly this country, we want to get to our movie on time. We want to want to make sure our DVR thing. We want to all the little things in life occupy our mind. We're being entertained to death while so many Christians suffer. So that's the title today: When Christians Suffer and Why Do We Suffer? And I'm going to ask, answer that. And and I'm I'm going to use a lot of resources. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, one of my favorite. Uh, my dear friend uh, Dave Perkins, a great radio guy, great guy in general, world traveler, tremendous knowledge overall. Uh, you really need to read his stuff. If you subscribe to uh, Facebook, if you if what is it called? Follow me on Facebook and Twitter. You'll see all of Dave Perkins' stuff. Uh, he writes. I'm trying to guilt him into writing a book because that's what he really needs to do. He needs to help us by writing a book. T- tremendous mind. All that said to say this: that we know if our eyes are open, that Christians suffer. So C.S. Lewis really had. He he had his mind in the right place uh, when he wrote certain books that he wrote, and we're gonna we're gonna give you a, a good dose of that. We also use the Holy Scripture a lot of times. Most of the times, we use the complete Jewish Bible. So, with that said, let's get started. Almost every believer has asked this question: If God is all powerful and all loving, why do Christians still suffer? And if they're faithfully serving God, why do they still suffer at times? They're faithfully serving. They're in deep into serving God, and yet they still suffer. This question is so significant that the answer often determines whether someone will become or remain a believer in Christ and God or not. Will become or remain. Because there's a lot of people that suffering, the suffering, the sadly, the unexpected, unprepared for suffering, once they become a Christian, catches them off guard. They They're... They're surprised. They say, what's happening? I don't understand. Why am I suffering? I became a Christian. I thought this was supposed to be the smooth and easy easy path. And then it's not. I want to say one thing. Um, I talked, uh, you know, right at, the, right at the very open about Christians that are suffering around the world. I don't want to gloss over this. There are tens of thousands of Christians this year who have been tortured and murdered. There are tens of thousands of more women and young boys and young girls who have been stolen into slavery, sexual slavery. Chai boys is what they're called because the the uh, the Quran permits it as long as they're not a Muslim boy. You can you can absolutely do that. And these Christian women, they're taking them. And there's all kinds of video of of these ISIS air quotes soldiers sitting around laughing about what they want. They want a young girl with blue eyes. They'll pay a lot of money for a young girl with blue eyes. And then the other guy says, how young? Mm, I think as young as six, seven. I'd pay the most for a 10-year-old, though, just like Muhammad, just exactly like Muhammad. And see, if you know the truth of Islam, you realize they're, they're living to torture and kill Christians and Jews. Followers of the way and Jews. This is what they live for. And you need to understand that this is the case. This is not up for debate. Do you hear a politician say Islam is a religion of peace? You need to understand Islam is not a religion, first of all, at all. It's a religion. 
starts off as a religion, it becomes a political force, and then it becomes a military force. And they do them in that order for a reason. Tomorrow, listen to the show tomorrow, and you'll hear more about that. Collision of Faith and Politics at 4 o'clock. The ninjapastor.com is where you learn more about that. So I, I did put the statement here, remain a believer in Christ, become or remain. Because how many people do you know that said, you know, I became a Christian, everything was great for a while, and then just everything seemed to fall apart. It, I still suffered. I, You know, chronic illness, chronic pain, things like that, they really chip away at your resolve. I'm going to talk more about that in a second. But I'm sure you can probably think of a lot of people who said, man, I've been through so much suffering. I believe in Christ. I thought this was supposed to help. There's probably some in the live audience here today, and I know that there's some in the, in the tens of thousands listening all across the world. I know that there's some there that your your faith tonight and your practice in Christ is is really shaken. And you're deciding, do I remain a believer or do I not? So how do we define suffering? The interweb says major depressive disorder affects approximately 14.8 million American adults, or about 6.7% of the United States population age 18 and older. Let me just give you some statistics. Your lifetime risk of developing cancer. Now, as I look around, our buddy Don is not here, but we've got several in the room, uh, several here just on this side of the room that have had cancer. Uh, one, many times I've been with her, had the honor and privilege to be with her and pray with her and her husband uh, before she goes in for yet another surgery. She just keeps fighting and fighting and fighting. But you know what? After a while, that gets old. We we look on this side of, of the live audience and we see uh, the grandparents of folks, uh, of a grandchild that has been suffering and suffering and suffering for years. Didn't do anything wrong. It's a strong, hardcore believer. And yet the suffering continues and in many cases intensifies. I sit in the front of the room as somebody, I'm going to talk more about this in a little bit, you know, chronic pain and suffering, things like this. This is just my life. It's, I Sometimes I just have to shake my head and think, well, you know, when will this end? It may not it may not ever end. Just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm immune from that. Listen, I know people in the audience who have promised me that they're going to listen tonight for whom this sermon really was written, that they they have a serious series of physical maladies that can challenge at any point their life. And it seems like one thing after another after another, and they just can't get a break. By the way, welcome to chat. Thank you so much for joining us. That's a really cool thing. Uh, chat. We have Jerry from Pennsylvania here. By the way, we miss uh, Philly Bob and, and Millie. Hope you guys are all right. We love to see the chat. That's really fun. Sometimes I get going so much that I just don't even barely see it, but it is it is a lot of fun to see the, the interactivity. All that said to say this, I started talking about cancer. So we've established there's a lot of people. Look, I have right now our brother Don um, in remission from cancer, hoping to stay in remission. Uh, my buddy Eric, since kindergarten, he's fighting to get into remission. He's back on chemo, hoping to get well enough by July to be able to get uh, another stem cell rescue and buy himself some more time. Uh, my buddy Chris Cahalan, he's listening tonight. Uh, love this brother, good Christian brother, amazing man of God, young guy, young family, beautiful family. Um, he's in chemo now. He had the Whipple procedure for his pancreas cancer. He's in chemo now. It's going to be really, really some tough chemo. But you know what? He's a tough guy, and he has an even tougher God. But it's been months upon months upon months of terrible suffering. Well, here's some statistics. Your lifetime risk 
of developing cancer. Approximately 39.6% of men and women will be diagnosed with all cancer types at some point during their lifetime. Now, this is based on 2010-2012 data, but the fact of the matter is we know that that's increasing. Don't believe the lie. More people survive cancer because of medical treatments, different things that we're doing, but it's actually the incidence, as I'm learning, is going up. You might say, well, that's because we're detecting more. There's more people that, you know, it's realized in the population that have it. Whatever the case may be, let's say that's a lot. But let's see how much. Prevalence of this cancer. In 2012, there were an estimated 13,776,251 people living with all cancer types in the United States of America. Did you hear that number? 13,776,251 people. Listen, right down the road, one of my dear friends, John, young guy, has a cough. He can't seem to shake it. He was really good health. What's the deal with this cough? Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Had a softball-sized tumor removed out of his chest, pressing against his heart and lungs. Praise God, he's been in remission for a lot of years. I'm praying that that stays the case. My other friend, Pam, who might be listening tonight, Young girl, super athlete, superstar athlete, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, unbelievable suffering, years of suffering, cancer. I hate cancer. Cancer took my dad. It's taken many of your family members, if you think about it. That's just one thing. We're going to go through this in depth, but to begin, let's start with the biggest elephant in the room. I'm not trying to depress you, believe it or not, but we have to acknowledge the big old elephant in the room. There is depression and suffering all around us. Whether you're Christian, whether you are well-employed, whether you're underemployed or unemployed, whether you're retired, whether you're well, whether you're sick, there's sickness and suffering and depression all around us. There's almost no place you can go. Now, I love C.S. Lewis. One of the sad parts of my crash is I suffered a brain injury. So I forgot, I used to read, I used to quote whole things, that, whole passages of C.S. Lewis. I forgot it, just like the Bible. I, for, I used to be able to quote whole books of the Bible. I, for, I just don't know it anymore. It's, it's part of the brain damage. But it, I'm looking at it as an opportunity to get into a new state of mind and say, okay, maybe before my heart wasn't fully, my soul wasn't fully immersed Maybe I hadn't bathed my my whole spirit in, in Scripture and in the Word of Truth, and so it's an honor to read it again. Well, C.S. Lewis is very much the same, and I would encourage you if you if in in school you you, you were never required to read C.S. Lewis, you've got to read C.S. Lewis, and if you're going to read anything, read Mere Christianity. But there's another one I'm going to talk about in just a moment that if you want to understand the pain and suffering of Christians, this is really a phenomenal book. So C.S. Lewis addresses this issue in this way. God's idea of goodness is almost certainly unlike ours, yet God's moral judgment must differ from ours, not as white from black, but as, but as a perfect circle from a child's first attempt to draw a wheel. Or we could mean nothing by calling him good. Thus, where God means love, we only mean kindness. The desire to see others other than oneself happy, not happy in this way or that way, but just happy. 
We want not so much a, a father, but a grandfather in heaven. A God who said, of anything we happen to like doing, what does it matter so long as they are contented? Now let us note in passing how much this confusing between love and kindness is akin to our modern thinking. It sheds light on many present controversies, from assisted suicide to abortion to contraception. But love is not mere kindness. That's the thing. We define it. We, we overlap those definitions and those intents, and they're not, they're not to be really always defined the same. Sometimes they can be combined. Of course, you can have a person who is loving, and kind. You can have loving kindness, but love is not the same as kindness, and we'll see why here in a second. Kindness cares not whether its object becomes good or bad, provided only that it escapes suffering. Important word there, escapes suffering. Let me read that again to you. Kindness cares not whether its object becomes good or bad, provided only that it escapes suffering, while love would rather see the loved one suffer much than be happy and contemptible and estranging modes. We just want nice and kindness. We hate suffering. Look, there's nobody in this room and there's nobody in my audience that says, yeah, I like suffering. I gave it a try. I was living good. Things were happy and healthy. I got to tell you the truth. The suffering, a lot more fun. Nobody says that. Nobody in their right mind says that. Hey, the suffering thing is really cool. I want to live like that. So I'm going to do stuff that helps me suffer more because that's what's best for me. Nobody does that. Nobody in the right mind. You'd have to be crazy. So we hate suffering. We want God to show us kindness and not necessarily love. God wants more than happy for us, though. He wants to prepare us for eternity, where if we trust him fully now, we will be eternally joyful. We'll be gleeful. We'll be happy beyond earthly description. We've seen that in a stable and meaningful universe, the possibility of pain is indeed inherent. And in a universe of creatures inclined by the virtue of their fallen, fallen nature to move away from God, evil becomes, so to speak, endemic. Yet, God is in charge. He supervises the circulation of good and evil, and he does it in a way that satisfies his goodness. That is, with total respect for man's freedom. Wow! That ought to be on a billboard somewhere. That's important news. That's something maybe we should start learning early in our days, right? We should learn these things early in our days because we expect kindness to come. We say, God is love. People run around saying that all the time. God is love. Love is not without trouble. Love is not without struggle. Love is not without sorrow. I hate to tell you. Kindness may be so, but not love. But God is in charge. He supervises the circulation of good and evil. Did you catch that? He supervises the circulation of good and evil. And he does it in a way that satisfies his goodness. That is, with total respect for man's freedom. Did you hear me? I said it twice. Your freedom is totally and completely respected. You need to understand what price freedom. There's always a price. You know what? Your freedom, we're learning this in America right now. And really and truly all around the world, we're learning the price of freedom is very, very high. We're learning also that we can't get freedom and liberty and then go, wow, boy, I'm glad that's over. I'm glad those founders did what they did because now I can rest. 
I can do no more. I can fight no more. I can just go and do my daily activities. I can go and be entertained. This is great. Boy, thank you for working hard for me, founders. Now, we learned that we have to continually be mutually pledged one to another to keep the republic. We're learning and experiencing now, aren't we, the price of abdicating. But the fact of the matter is, we have freedom. We have freedom to be free and live in liberty and love, God's love, or for him to turn away and say, you have despised me, and now you're wicked. And now you will lose the freedom and liberty that I've given you. And sometimes a lot more than that. Let us let C.S. Lewis continue speaking. In the fallen and partially redeemed universe, we may distinguish the simple good descending from God, the simple evil produced by rebellious creatures, and the exploitation of that evil by God for his redemptive purpose, which produces the complex good to which accepted suffering and repented sin contribute. Let me read that again for you. I don't want you to miss it for those of you taking notes. In the fallen and partially redeemed universe, we may distinguish, number one, the simple good descending from God. Number two, the simple evil produced by rebellious creatures. And number three, the exploitation of that evil by God for his redemptive purpose, which produces, number four, the complex good to which accepted suffering and repented sin contribute. There's some power in that statement. A merciful man aims at his neighbor's good as so does God's will, consciously cooperating with the simple good. A cruel man oppresses his neighbor, and so does simple evil. But in doing such evil, he is used by God, without his knowledge or consent, to produce the complex good, so that the first man serves God as a son, and the second as a tool. You remember the verse, surely all things work together for good for those who love God, and are called according to his purpose, which simply means that when we experience evil or bad in others, in the evildoers, when we experience that, you know what? They don't mean us well. These evildoers, Islam that's running across all across the world, look, you need to understand, people say, you talk about Islam too much. Let me tell you, that's the number one threat. It is the number one threat to us. There is no other threat existing today in this country, and, and to be honest, all around the world, that is greater than the threat of Islam. You say, well, shouldn't you be saying radical Islam? Shouldn't you be saying ISIS? Shouldn't you be saying uh, Al-Qaeda? Shouldn't you be saying you know, any of the other cells and factions? No, no. And you, I would encourage you to listen to my show with Mr. Bill Federer. We did a show several weeks ago with Bill Federer talking about uh, the, the truth about Islam in the United States of America. And I'm telling you, it, it's a powerful, powerful show. This man is a, a walking, breathing encyclopedia. And he'll hit you with some stuff that will blow your mind. Go to our website, theninjapastor.com, drshawngreener.com, whichever one, and go down to the blog, and it's over to the right, blog, click on that, scroll to where I talk about Mr. Federer. There's a link to the show. It's free, commercial-free. I'm telling you, that'll be some time well spent for you. So if you see a bunch of these folks running around telling you, you know, uh, well, let me just say this. I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it now, even though it doesn't necessarily relate until the end of the ignorance, the, the result of the ignorance of this fact. You know, there are certain presidential candidates right now 
who are identifying Islam as the problem. Look, there's, there's Muslims out there that by their very nature, by their, by their air quotes, holy books, seek to do us harm. And that by their very nature, by their holy book, they're waiting and waiting and waiting to enact troubles upon us, torture upon us, and death upon us. This is what they're built to do, folks. This is what they've done. You know what? I don't ask a snake why it bites. I don't. Remember that last week I talked about the scorpion. Scorpion talked the frog, and hey, I got we got to get ac- we both got to get across this little water path here, and uh, maybe I could ride on your back. And the scorpion is talking kind of nice to the frog, and the frog says, "What are you crazy? You're a scorpion. You could sting me, and and I could die." And the scorpion says. Why would I do that? If if I'm if we're across in the water and I sting you while we're going on the way across, guess what? You're going to die, and that means I'm going to die because I can't swim. Why would I do that? Doesn't make sense. What happens? The scorpion succumbs to its evil nature, right? Scorpions do what? They sting and they kill. You know what? Evil people sting and they kill. You say, well, I know a lot of Muslims that are nice people. I'm going to tell you this. The pilot that was the first plane into the World Trade Center, all of his neighbors were interviewed, and they said, man, a nicer guy you'd never want to meet. The people that did the murders in the 14 murders out in San Bernardino, the the people that they were murdering were the very same people that had thrown them a uh, baby shower and had given them wedding gifts and all these different things. They were so generous to them, and they were friendly. Until it was time for them to act. And when they act, they showed their true face. There's lots of people that tell me all the time, well, this can't be true, Dr. Sean, because I know Muslims who aren't like that. And I say this to you. Watch with a suspicious eye. Because the very nature of the religious, political, and military organization that is Islam, their entire purpose is to make you subject to them either by torture or by death. And their drive is to do that all across the world. They are causing Christians all across the world, and here in the United States, tremendous suffering. You know, there's, there's a faction of the United States government uh, on, on the left and, and has a modicum of support on the right that is trying to enact laws such as they have in Canada where what they want to do is they want to say preachers can't preach against Islam, like I'm doing right now. They can't preach against Islam. We want to call that hate speech. We want to call that Islamophobia and make that a crime. So if you do that, you could be put in jail, just like they do in Canada. I would submit to you folks, that's a form of Christian suffering. Christian suffering. Listen, there's Christian suffering all around the world, not just physically. I talked about cancer and some other things. There's a lot of ways that we suffer physically. But you know what? This nice lady, um, I'm not recalling her name off the top of my head right now. We were just at the uh, at the Pastors and Leaders Conference down in Dover, Delaware. And this lady from Washington, the state of Washington, came in and, sh- and her flower shop, a friend of hers, who she had done lots and lots of floral arrangements before, close friend, very dear friend, uh, happened to be a gay guy, uh, was getting married once it became legal, he's getting married, and he says, hey, will you do my wedding flowers? 
And she says, you know, I love you. She came alongside him, put her arm around him. I love you, but you know, and I can make flowers for everything else, but I can't make flowers for your wedding because that would be endorsing homosexual marriage. And in my faith, we can't do that. And he says to her, oh, that's okay. I understand. I understand. It's it's no problem. What was it? Two days later, she's being served by a cease and desist order, and she is facing losing everything. This is a mother of eight, a loving mother of eight and 23 grandchildren. She's a sweet, loving lady. She said even today, if he walked in this room, I would walk over to him and hug him. If I lose everything, I'll walk over to him and hug him as God has told me to love him. I'm not making a judgment about him. I'm saying what Scripture says and what God says. And in my faith, I have to stand for my faith. And here's the crazy thing. You could be here losing everything. Well, why don't you just make the daggone flower arrangement? Why don't you just bake the cake? Folks, that's suffering. That's Christian suffering. You need to understand that those people at the bakery, they're facing losing everything. There's like a hundred and some lawsuits now against them. All these people have come out of the woodwork to sue them. Why? Because they found out that the GoFundMe was successful until GoFundMe suspended it because they didn't like defending Christians. And here this florist, this dear lady, I mean, could those of you who are there with me, I uh, was privileged to have you there at my table. You know, you couldn't argue. There was a nicer person. I mean, she was sweet as she could be. She got many, many standing ovations, yet she was just as quiet and diminutive and 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 godly and sweet as you could possibly imagine. She wasn't a hate speaker. She was a nice person. She she is a nice person. She's facing losing everything and the government is persecuting her. It's religious persecution. It's Christians being persecuted. I'll talk more about that in a second. For you will certainly carry out God's remember what I said the verse uh it simply means uh that when we experience evil or bad or evildoers, they don't mean us well, but God can still use it for his good. That's to catch you up, because I went on a little rabbit trail there. For you will certainly carry out God's purpose, however you act. You know, I could make like a uh, a rabbit fur jacket with as many rabbit trails as I go on. But you know, then the PETA people, they would, you know, they would start protesting me. That would be bad. That was funny. I can't imagine why nobody's laughing. The radio audience is laughing because they haven't eaten as good as you guys have. For you will certainly carry out God's purpose however you act, but it makes a difference to you whether you serve like a Judas or like a John. For Lewis, this divine design is a tribulation system, and he explains how pain operates within it. The proper good of a creature is to surrender to its creator. However, the human spirit, hardened through the millennia of usurpation, will not even begin to try to surrender self-will as long as all seems to be well with it. What am I talking about there? What is Lewis talking about there? Hey, when things are going great, we don't think there's any problem, right? We may be doing the wrong thing. We, the stuff may be crazy in our life until, until, you know what? You can eat anything you want, and you can enjoy to eat everything you want. You don't have to exercise. Why? And that's a great plan. Man, I'm loving my meals. But a, a few months down the road, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get bigger. You're going to get diabetes. And then you're going to get, you're going to get uh, lethargic. And then you're not going to walk around as much. And then you're going to get foot sores and, and, and all kinds of other butt sores and whatnot. Ugh. So you're going to get all that stuff. You're going to be in chronic pain. 
And then guess what? Your life's going to start to go down. You're going to get heart disease and all these other things. Well, listen, same way with smoking, right? Hey, if you lit a cigarette and all of a sudden you could look down and see the cancer tumors growing in your body, right? You, you, they send you a little mirror. Hey, when you're smoking, hold this mirror up and you can look back and see tumors growing. You can see the wrinkles happening. Nobody would smoke. Or so we think. Or so we think, right? I, I would think, man, if you could see it right away. But we don't see it right away. So what happens? Even begin to try to surrender self-will as long as all seems to be well with it. Listen, we don't try to give up on that bad thing, that unhealthy thing, do we? We don't do it until it starts to all go sideways on us, until the car goes in the disc. You know, drink, drinking and driving is no problem. It's no problem at all until, until you kill somebody, until you put your car in the ditch, until you lose your job because you can't get to work. That's suffering. That's suffering. And if you're a Christian, God did not intend that for you. There's a difference in suffering. I'm going to talk about that. And C.S. Lewis really hones down on this. It's powerful. Listen, you got to read C.S. Lewis. He's, he's the bomb. Thus, the function of pain on the lowest level is to shatter the illusion that all is well, to plant the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. We may rest contentedly in our sins and in our stupidities, but pain insists on being attended to. And if Lewis was writing today, he might add, it cannot be deconstructed. On a higher level, pain shatters yet another illusion, that we are self-sufficient, that, we, that all we have is our own doing. Listen, what he's saying here is this. We have this illusion that I got this, right? In the living of our life, as Christians or otherwise, we say, now it happens more on the secular side, on the godless, on the atheistic side. It happens more on that side than it does on the Christian side. But sadly, as I talk about in my book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, there's a book section in theninjapastor.com. You go there, you buy the book, you'll be blessed. I'm just telling you this. Look, we think we got this. We think we have it. We think that somehow or another, we're the reason why all the good comes in our life. Notice I preface that with all the good. Some good comes into our life because we do the right things. And you know what? On the flip side of that, some bad comes into our life because we did the right thing. Sometimes the bad thing, look, I wasn't doing anything wrong. When that guy hit me, that fellow was going 100 and some miles per hour and he hit the median. When airborne hit me at 92 miles per hour head on, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was just driving down the road. Happy as a clam. Couldn't wait to go eat some dinner. I didn't get to eat dinner for a couple of days. I don't even remember when my first meal was. It was liquid. Because I have busted up teeth and uh, messed up messed up everything. But uh, the point here is, is, look, sometimes bad comes to you and you didn't do anything wrong. That's the point that Lewis is so articulately making. This is perhaps where pain, when it afflicts honest and decent people, seems most cruel and undeserved. Let me say this about that. Look, folks, you're going to see, and maybe you've said this, maybe you've seen this, maybe you've said this. Man, that person, oh, I'll give you an example. I'll give you a personal example of a person that's honestly the most honest and sweet and loving and Christian person that I know. Mama Max, I know that she is in Billie Jean Maxwell, she is in heaven. I think she's organizing some stuff, making some stuff fit better and color coordinate some stuff. I think she's doing that. But listen, this this was an amazing woman. An amazing woman. 
who before she was 60 years old fought her fourth and final battle with cancer. You might say she lost. I for years said she lost the battle. No, she did not lose the battle. She got her reward. She went through a time of suffering. She never once doubted God. In fact, she said to me, I remember this like it was yesterday. She said, listen, because you are so close to our family, you've got to, you've got to remember your testimony because people are going to watch you because you're part of this family. You're going to say, hey, that's Sean Greener. Let's see. She called me Sean. She said, they're going to see if you lose your testimony. They're going to see if you lose your faith. They're going to see if you're angry at God. Don't lose your faith. I know where I'm bound. I know in whom I've believed. I know that the moment I close my eyes here on earth, I'm going to open them to the face of Christ, the one who I have believed in, who has sustained me, and who will rescue me for all eternity. Man, you might look at her and go, wow, what suffering she had over the course of many, many years. It seemed like just when she'd have a time frame of of feeling well and cancer-free, boom, here it is again. It's here to visit upon her again, the awful, awful cancer. That's just one example. Honest and decent people. We hear that all the time. You know, boy, that's such a good Christian person. Honest and decent people. Seems most cruel and undeserved, but Lewis calls it a sign of divine humility. It is a poor thing to come to God as a last resort, to offer up our own when it is no longer worth keeping. Folks, do you understand what I just said there? What Lewis just said, what I just quoted C.S. Lewis is saying, listen, that's a sad thing to come to God as the last resort. I always say this. Hesitant faith is no faith at all. Folks, when it's all you got, it's the only choice you have. And then you turn to God. You can't claim some sense of piety. You can't do it. Why can't you do it? Because that's the last choice you have. You've said, I've tried everything else and everything else failed. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to try you, Lord. That's weak. It's hesitant. It's inept faith. It's poor faith. It's a poor example, not just to the world, folks, but to you. Because, you know, the quiet conversations when we're all alone in the dark and we're trying to fall asleep and our mind is going a thousand, I don't know about you, my head hits the pillow, suddenly I have the memory of a giant. I have this memory like uh, encyclopedic memory. And the thing I remember, you know what I remember? Oh, I forgot to do this. I forgot to do that. I was supposed to do this. I've got to go do it. I've got to write this. Did I send that thing? Did I do this? And it's going and it's yelling in my ear. And I have the crickets playing and the and the, the frogs playing, the peepers playing to try to drum it out of my ear. This big speaker playing this stuff. And I'm hoping that I can occupy my brain by these sounds. But guess what? The drowning out is, did I do this? Did I do that? Did I forget this? Did I forget that? Did I remember to take the, you know, and it's on and on and on. And it robs me of my sleep. And you know what else it does? It robs me of my peace. It robs me of my peace. But listen, if I truly have faith in God, I do a pattern interrupt, a pattern disconnect. I stop that by saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know in whom I've believed. And I know that he is able to keep that what I've committed to him against that day. I know that God can and will do what he has promised to do. I believe it, and I'm going to live like it. And then we shut it down. Is that to say 
that if we ever have doubts, if we ever have periods of time where anxiety gets to us and depression gets to us and just the questions of the day start to overwhelm us, that if we actually feel those things and experience some stress and anxiety from it, that we're any lesser of a Christian. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Not what I'm saying at all. But if everything else, now you might be at this place, by the way, and there's nothing wrong with being at this place at the very bottom. People say you won't change until you hit rock bottom. Some people just don't change until they hit rock bottom. I know people like that. I know a lot of people like that. Let me say this about that. I've been in a very rough place. And looking at that place, I said to myself, it could be a lot worse. I know people listening on the radio who right now are are in a very bad way. But they would be the first to say, but you know what? It could be worse. Thank God it's not worse than this. Thank God this is all it has. But you know what? Other people, lots of other people have it worse. I just thank God that I don't have what they have, that they don't Boy, the suffering they have, it's so sad. And they pray for other people that they come across. They go into the hospital in terrible illness, really delicate situations, and they find people to pray for. Man, that's faith, right? Because we're gonna, we are going to suffer. There's going to be suffering. I'll talk more about that in a second. I better hurry up. I've only got 18 minutes. Good lands. Honest and decent people. But Lewis calls it a sign of divine humility. Folks, I want to ask you, do you have divine humility? Do you think you're above the suffering? Do you think you're above the challenges? Do you think you're such a good and decent person that you're above it? Look, I look at young kids and the suffering that some young kids, chronic illness. I look at that and I say, wow, God, why? Why? We're going to answer that. If God were in a Kantian, which is the philosopher if he believed in Immanuel Kant, um, who would who would not have us till we came to him from the purest and best motives, who could be saved? So what he's saying there is, look, if God is the type of God who says, look, until you're totally pure, until your best motives are being lived out, and you're you're doing everything exactly right, you're totally pure, you're completely and totally without sin, then I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to open my arms and say, ah, good job. You've got the right haircut, you've got the right job, you know, you've got the right looking family, your house is just right, um, your language is perfect, you know, you used all the church language, it's very important. So now I can accept you. Great. Well, that's not how it is. On the highest level, pain through trials and sacrifices teaches true self-sufficiency, to rely on God, to act out of heavenly strength, out of a purely supernatural motive. When man acts in this way, he becomes a co-creator with God. Human will become truly creative and truly our own when it is wholly God's. And this is one of the many senses in which that he loses his soul, he shall find it. He who loses his soul shall find it. I said it before and I say it again. Hesitant faith is no faith at all. I'm I'm encouraging you tonight, if you're suffering, if you're in this audience and you're suffering, whether live or here around the world, if you're suffering, give it to God. Sounds so simplistic. It sounds so simple. But I'm telling you, never will you be more joyful when you give it to God. Not some of it, not a tiny bit of it, not a sliver, you don't give it to him, take it back. 
Give it to him. Take it back. Put it at the cross. Take it back. No, your hurts, habits, and hang-ups, you've got to leave them there with him. And you've got to turn away from that which puts you there in the first place. When God told his people in Leviticus 2.11, no grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, we're reminded that how we appreciate Yeshua, our grain offering, must not be mixed with wrong teachings. For example, when we talk about suffering with Christ, Romans 8.17, we must know that it is not about suffering or sickness or lack, things which Yeshua has redeemed us from but suffering from persecution, scorn, and rejection for his namesake, which we are likely to face as good Christians. Let me say this about that. Let me just repeat that. When we talk about suffering with Christ, Romans eight seventeen. if you want to look that up, we must know that it is not about suffering, sickness, or lack. It's not talking about sickness or lack, things which Yeshua has, he, he's redeemed us from that. The suffering he's talking about is persecution, scorn, and rejection for his namesake. In other words, you wear the banner, I am a follower of Christ. I am one of his. Do you know the Christ? No, I don't know him. Well, I, you see that man over there? His name is Kepha or Peter. He He's one of them. Are, aren't you one of them? No, 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 no. No, no, no. I'm not. Mm, I don't know. Jesus. Jesus who? <laughs> Yeshua. I don't know him. What's he look like? And a little while later, there's that guy, that man right there. He traveled with them. He knew them. He knew them. He's one of them. He's one of their followers. One of the Talmudim. He followed them around. You over there. You follow. I saw you. No, you didn't. You didn't see me. Mm -mm. No. Everybody tells me there's a double for everybody. Must have been him. Because he didn't see me. It wasn't me. Cockle-doodle-doo. Cockle-doodle-doo. Three times. Three times. We deny Christ. We can't look at Peter and be too mad at Peter for denying and, and fulfilling prophecy as he did. Because you know what? He was human. But what did he do? He was at the bottom, folks. So was Judas, right? So was Judas. I say this all the time. I do, a whole song, I do a whole sermon on this. What if Judas hadn't have done what he did? What if Judas hadn't have done what he did? What if, Judas, what if Judas had been on the up and up? Now, we can save all the discussion of, well, he wouldn't have fulfilled prophecy and blah, blah, blah. We wouldn't have salvation. I'm just saying, think about that. But what if he still did it and he didn't kill himself? And then when Jesus came to that room, and as he was showing Thomas, you know, his two arms, his two feet, and showing Thomas, put your hands right here. Put your fingers in the holes. Feel the scars. What if Judas was in the room? Listen, Judas was at the bottom. But his suffering was what? Self-inflicted. What if? I submit to you, Yeshua would have forgiven him. Because you know what? Peter, the very first, Kepha, the first to confess Hamashiach, Christ, as the Messiah, he denied him. And he was broken. And he was restored. And he was redeemed. 
And he served as one of the very greatest that could ever walk the earth. A lion of faith. Dear friends, don't regard as strange the fiery ordeal occurring among you to test you as if something extraordinary was happening to you. Rather, the extent that you share the fellowship of the Messiah's sufferings, rejoice so that you will rejoice even more when his Shekinah is revealed. If you are being insulted because you bear the name of the Messiah, how blessed you are. For the spirit of the Shekinah, that is, the spirit of God, is resting on you. Let none of you suffer for being a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler in other people's affairs. Listen up, gossips. Listen up, gossips, meddlers. He puts you in with murderers and thieves and evildoers. Don't skip over that. Don't skip over that. I'm serious as hard as I'm telling you right now. Gossipers, don't laugh at what you do. It's, oh, I only gossip. God, he uses this scripture to tell you you're just as bad as them. He can't stand a gossip. He can't stand a person who messes with other people. Messes in other people's affairs. But if anyone suffers for being messianic, in other words, testifying to the existence of the risen Christ, let him not be ashamed, but let him bring glory to God by the way he bears his name. For the time has come for the judgment to begin. It begins with the household of God, and and if it starts with us, what will the outcome be for those who are disobeying God's good news? If the righteous is barely delivered, where will the ungodly and sinful end up? So let those who are suffering according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator by continuing to do what is good. First Peter 4, 12-19 in the Complete Jewish Bible. The real problem is not why some pious, humble, believing people suffer, but why some do not. C.S. Lewis, the book that I've been quoting is The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis wrote. Decades and decades ago, the problem of pain. The real problem is not why some pious, humble, believing people suffer, but why some don't. Listen, folks, you've got to ask yourself, if I'm living in Christ, and that's a churchy way of saying, if I'm doing what he has called me to do, not looking a certain way, not sounding a certain way, not adapting a certain hairstyle or beard or any of these things, but truly living in hard pursuit of Christ every day, You can't be surprised when you're persecuted. But I'm here to tell you, for those Christians who are following Christ who never suffer any sort of challenge, if you're never in the crosshairs of the enemy, the devil, if you are never, Satan doesn't look at you like he looked at Job and said, I got to get that guy out of the game. He's going to really cost me a lot of recruits, that guy, the way he lives. I got to test him and make him fail. I got to do all kinds of stuff to make this guy fail. Okay, God, I can't kill him. But I'm going to do everything else to him. Oh, I know he'll turn from you. I know I've got to get this guy Job out of the game. He's on the other team. He's on the team of the good. I've got to get this guy out. He's going to cost me. Right? What's the first thing you do in a sports metaphor? We've got the March Madness going on, and you've got the number one shooter on the team. Guess what? You better shut that shooter down. You better double team. You better get on the double team. You better block some shots. You better, you better issue some pain on that person. You better do it, or they're going to eat you alive from the three-point line. The ones that are the greatest threat to you, you've got to shut down. That applies. That analogy applies to the Christian world, 
versus the evil world of Satan. He's always trying to shut down the really good ones. Suffering is an unpopular subject. Listen, suffering is such an unpopular subject. And the statement is, salvation is more pleasant than suffering. Salvation is more pleasant than suffering. Well, of course it is. That's a duh statement. Duh. Really? Wow. Salvation is more pleasant than suffering? Well, I didn't know that. I wish somebody would have told me. Somebody would have written it in the big crayons, you know, the big chalk that you write on sidewalk, the big really big ones that little kids write on the sidewalks with. I wish somebody would have done that. If only I'd have known. Here's another one. Heaven is more pleasant than heartache. Again, it's a duh statement. But the fact of the matter is this. People don't realize that that statement, heaven is more pleasant than a heartache, it's a whole lot more important than people realize. Because it's so much more difficult to truly grasp than anyone seems to live. Not just know. It doesn't, the truth that you know doesn't matter as much, as much, as much as the truth you live. No one will ever turn from a life of struggle and sin and sorrow and self-persecution by looking at you and going, wow, that person, they know a lot. No, they're going to look at you and say, man, that person lives in some sort of light. Some sort of light with a capital L. That person lives fully, man. And I've seen the suffering, the struggle that person has been through. And they still praise God. What's up with that? I want some of that. Listen, suffering is a real part of life. I'm here to tell you, suffering is real. And I'm sorry, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Every hospital we pass, it reminds us that suffering is real. I, I and many of you, many of you here I know very well in this, in this the live audience here, can testify to this firsthand. Hospitals scream suffering. And speaking of screaming, by the way, screaming sirens each night. They sear through the silence of the quiet, dark night that suffering is real. Not only physical, but mental anguish. Hurts habits and hang-ups. Let me check that. Listen to that. Well, she's going to, she's checking on something. Siri must have heard me preaching. Let me check on that for you. I'll just see if you're telling the truth. Let me ask you that question. Yeah, let me ask you, let me ask you that question. I don't know how I did that. That's magical. It was kind of funny. What if she'd have said some scripture? I'd be like, my Siri is a Christian. I don't know about yours. She's been saved. She's been blessed. <laughs> Not only physical, but mental anguish. Hurts, habits, and hang-ups. They're not often physical. Let's be honest. Hurts, habits, and hang-ups, not often physical. Usually they're emotional. Physical pains, especially the chronic pains. I don't want to overlook that. Chronic pains, chronic sickness, things like this, they can eat away at our positivity. Right? I don't care how good a Christian you are. It can eat away at your resolve, your positivity. You think, I should start planning my funeral. Hope erodes with each new day of pain. Our remembrance of God fades as there comes no relief. You know Ann Landers? You guys ever hear of Dear Abby and Ann Landers, all that stuff? Why do you think she was so successful? Why were Ann Landers and Dear Abby so successful? And Wikipedia has a lot. I don't have time. I'm I'm out of time. What I'll do is I'll do a blog post and put the rest of this on there so you can read it. It's really fascinating. But you know... This was a long time. This Ruth Crowley was the advice columnist in the Chicago Sun-Times. And uh, it, then it was taken over by Esther Pauline Epiletterer in 55. And for 56 years, Ask Ann Landers syndicated advice column, regular feature in many newspapers all across 
North America. Folks, do you understand why that was so popular? It was so popular because people were suffering. They wanted to ask somebody. Somebody give me the answer. Somebody help me. In fairness, her answers were wrong very much of the time. Suicide prevention organizations. Google that. Google suicide prevention organizations. You know what's going to come up? 461,000 hits. 461,000 organizations. Why? People, a whole lot of people, live in utter despair. You know what they should do? They should listen to my Sean talk from last week. What do you do? I think we just lost our audience here. I don't know if you can still hear me. Who knows? Maybe so. Yep, we can still hear. We just had a glitch. A whole lot of people are living in utter despair, and I think the Sean talk from last week, uh, it's at the Ninja Pastor, what to do when you don't know what to do, theninjapastor.com. Christians, look, if you've been a Christian any length of time, you know that you have trials. And I've got to ask you, who told you that being a Christian was going to be easy? Now, I'm going to put the rest of this, I'm going to put the rest of this, I'll do a blog post probably tonight or tomorrow. I'll put the rest of this on the blog post because I've run out of time. But the fact of the matter is, whoever told you that becoming a Christian was going to be easy, they were a liar. They were a liar or maybe they didn't know. This will be easy. Make your life easy. It's the best thing ever. Is it the best thing ever? Yeah. You better believe it. But listen, what if, what if, we, what if we were able to cut out the suffering that we inflict upon ourselves. What if we were able to do that? Have you ever thought about that? What if, what? okay, I can't, the, the dreaded diseases and all that stuff, I can't do anything about that. I can try to live as healthy as I can. But you know what? There's nothing I can do about that. But what if we cut out the hurts, habits, and hang-ups? What if we cut out the behavior that gives us that extra suffering, that extra self-persecution. What would happen if we did that? What would happen? The answer is powerful. It's it's amazing. And I have I have all the points. I'll put them in a blog post. Maybe what I'll do is do a maybe a little YouTube recording or something and we'll put that in there. It's free of charge, no cost or obligation to you. Just go to the ninjapastor.com. It'll be right there. Join us tomorrow. You don't want to miss tomorrow's show. You just never know what's going to happen on my show. For those of you who didn't last, listen last week, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, you got to listen. It's free. I was commercial free for two hours last week. I don't know how I did it, but somehow I did. It was kind of crazy. We want you to join us. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. God bless you all. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.